The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Hope you had a, a good weekend. I had a very good weekend. Ben, how are you? Doing great, Rob. How was your weekend? It was good. We good. Uh, fed a giraffe over the weekend. Oh, fun. Saturday was World Giraffe Day. Really? Which we found out about when we arrived at the zoo on that's Saturday. A thing. Yeah, that's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, and and we, uh, the, the giraffes were out. We got to feed the giraffes. My little boy, Cooper, was a very brave boy and fed them. He was a little intimidated at first. Oh, yeah, they're big. They're big. Yeah. And he's little. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, but uh, no, he, uh, he he fed the giraffe. Uh, my daughter, Layla, fed the giraffe. We made the front page of the Minot Daily News feeding the giraffe somehow. I, I didn't even know they were taking <laughs> our picture, but we uh, woke up this morning and my kids were on the front page. Uh, so that was kind of nice. Uh, it was right. a good weekend overall. Sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Little rainy, yeah. My uh, my dad had a nice little mishap with our RV camper. Can you believe this? He's pulling. Uh, uh, they 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 stay. Well, my parents come and stay with me during the summer, and they park their camper alongside my garage. Anyway, he was pulling the camper out. He had to go. He had to go uh, dump it. He's pulling it out, runs it into the into the uh, <laughs> into the basketball <laughs> hoop, puts a big hole in the side of his airstream. Ooh. And then reacting to this uh, in not such a good way, he backs up. He's a little upset. Yeah. <laughs> he backs yeah, I would up. I would too. Backs up uh, and then takes the corner way too sharp, scrapes the other side of the camper alongside oh, the garage. No. So that's, yeah. That's not Yikes. Good. Not good. Uh, he talked no. to the insurance agent today, and it sounds like uh, sounds like everything's covered. So Okay. Well, that's good. Well, that is good, but uh, that was fun. And we had a downpour, and we're out there trying to put plastic over the hole in the thing, and then of course, like, like a thunder, the big thunk clap of thunder, and right. then a downpour, and so that was Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> One of those days. Um, all right, we got a lot to talk about. We, we've got to talk about this stuff with Maxine Waters calling for harassment of Trump administration officials, and even before that call went out, Trump administration officials getting harassed sarah sanders uh, white house press secretary uh getting 86th from a restaurant uh we have the dhs secretary uh getting harassed out of a restaurant by by protesters uh we have uh florida attorney general pam bondi getting harassed at a movie by uh by protesters uh, some people think that this is a tactic and we need to talk about that so we're gonna we're gonna do that also we're gonna have a little bit more last week we spoke with our um tax commissioner ryan rauschenberger about the issue with uh the, the supreme court uh striking down the quill v north dakota um precedent uh you know i i was arguing you know I, i've been arguing i i don't know that this is good i i don't necessarily have a problem with okay we're doing commerce in new ways let's find a way to to get some revenue from that uh, because generally i like consumption taxes my problem is what have we done is this really a good move long term uh, Jonathan Williams, he is the chief economist for the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, ALEC. Uh, he's going to be calling in to talk with us a little bit about that. Also coming up at 1.30, uh, there's polling out today. Uh, well, it was, it was polling. It was actually done back in February uh, by Legalize ND. They're the group behind 
the uh, recreational recreational marijuana ballot measure. Uh, they've got polling out now. Again, this is they're they're just releasing it now, but it came out back in February. They're polling forty six percent of people saying that they would vote for the ballot measure. Wow. So that's a strong plurality. 39% said no. Uh, 15% undecided. But, um, I mean, as of right now, there's a plurality. Now, one thing to keep in mind about this, this was back in February. Also, we haven't really seen any organized opposition to that ballot measure. I suspect the opponents are waiting to see if it gets on the ballot or not. I I think it probably will. Um, So that's probably going to change when that debate gets going in earnest. But right now... They've, you know, well, I, I shouldn't say right now. Again, this poll was done back in February, but it, it's good numbers for them. Good, strong numbers for them. Doesn't yeah. guarantee any any outcome, but strong numbers for them. David Owen, who is the chairman of Legalize ND, the, the ballot measure committee, he'll be on the program at, what, uh, 1.30 to uh, discuss those poll results, discuss where they're at. I, they were about half, when, we, when I last spoke with these guys back in March, they were about halfway there to their goal. So I, I imagine the, um, the deadline is July 9th. That they got to have all the measures turned in, or this would be all, all the signatures turned in, so to make the November ballot. So I, I guess we'll see where they're at uh, coming up at one thirty. Plus your phone call seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Uh, let's see what else. What else did I have? I had something else I wanted to hit on before we before we launched into this other issue. What was the thing? Oh, uh, it was uh, Democratic Party Chairwoman Kylie Overson stepping down over the weekend um which is not a not a good sign for democrats so of course you know the the party is you know p- putting a spin on it oh everything's fine everything's great um overson who by the way she used to be a member of the state legislature lost re-election in 2016 uh, she provided over over an election cycle in 2016 that was disastrous for democrats i don't think they had a single statewide candidate get over 30 percent of the vote um i mean that's that's terrible they also lost what was it 50 i'm even forgetting now they lost i mean they they already had tiny minorities in the state house of the state senate they lost seats even from that tiny minority i mean at at this point i mean you you, you're kind of almost expecting the democrats at least in the legislative races to go up a little i mean they really can't go down any further. I mean, it's hard to imagine them losing more. I mean, just given that there are some pockets in North Dakota that are just pretty hardcore blue, it's hard to imagine them losing any more ground. But anyway, Overson stepping down from her position, now saying you know she, she's also campaigning for tax commissioner, a race which, according to a recent Mason-Dixon polling commissioned by Valley News Live, she's losing by 18 points. Um, you know, she's out saying, oh, I, you know, my decision to step down, it was just personal and, and I want to focus my attention on the tax commissioner race. Listen, if that was it, she would have stepped down at the logical point to do that, which is when she announced her campaign for tax commissioner. That's what NDGOP chairman Kelly Armstrong did when he announced his campaign for the U.S. House. He stepped down as chairman. It was because he made that decision to enter into the race. I mean, just just ethically, I don't think it was ever a good idea for somebody who's on the statewide ballot to simultaneously be chairwoman of the party. But if, if that was the issue, then she would have done it back when she announced her campaign for tax commissioner. Overson doing it now, I think, frankly, I, I think it's a, I think it's a sign that things are in absolute disarray for Democrats. 
You have Senator Heitkamp in approval polling from Morning Consult going from 60% in July of last year to 44% now. She's underwater. In that same poll, 50% of people saying that they'd like to elect somebody else other than Senator Heitkamp. The Mesa-Dixon poll just out showed Heitkamp losing by four points to Congressman Kramer. We average out the last three publicly available polls, one commissioned by the NRSC, one done by Gravis Marketing out of Florida, and one done by Mason Dixon. You average the results from those three polls together, Kramer's leading there as well by more than two points. Granted, it's tight, but Heitkamp's the incumbent. And you get outside of the Senate race, and every single, according to the Mason-Dixon poll, every single statewide Democratic candidate, for some reason the poll didn't poll the PSC candidates, but every other race shows Democrats losing by at least double digits, sometimes by margins that are in over 20%. In fact, Overson's race for tax commissioner is one of the closest, and that poll shows her losing by 18 points. So it's hard not to look at that situation and see a political party that is in utter disarray. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that Democrats are focused on that Senate race, right? That's the one they have to hold. Would you believe it, Ben, if I told you that that North, that North Dakota Democrats have held that Senate seat since the Truman administration? Wait, have they? Yeah. Wow. It's been in Democratic hands consistently since the Truman administration. So Heitkamp barely held it for Democrats mm-hmm. in 2012. Uh, so far, and I, I don't want to make the Senate race by any stretch of the imagination sound like a foregone conclusion. I just want to say the polling numbers don't look good for Heitkamp right now. She could certainly turn it around, no question about that. But things are not going well, and Heitkamp's climb to win is tougher when her down-ballot candidates aren't doing well. So I don't know. I look at the Democratic Party. I see a party in disarray. Uh, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, when this news broke, I was texting with a longtime political observer friend. Uh, my friend told me someone got pushed. He thinks things are not good with the Heitkamp campaign, and I'll tell you, that sounds about right to me. I think that's why Overson's stepping down. Uh, her, her leadership of that party has been a disaster. Frankly, I think people probably wanted her out of that seat when she announced her campaign for tax commissioner. She didn't do a particularly good job in 2016 when she was simultaneously party chair and running for re-election for her house seat she failed in both of those aspects last cycle what makes us think she could be successful this cycle this was probably a good move for democrats get her out of there they should have done it a while ago call in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com if i was a, if i was a democrat in this state right now i would feel good that oversids out maybe we'll get somebody more competent in there but on the other hand i'd be feeling a little scared because again this is a sign things are not going well if everything's going smoothly if everything's going well you the political parties don't make leadership changes in the heart of an election cycle caller karen you're on what's up okay two points the first one is the last week of october almost two years ago they said that Hillary Clinton would win, so I'm glad Trump is not now our president. And the second point is, I'm wondering if Democrats nationally are going to take both the Senate and the House. Well, I, the, the, the problem Democrats have in the Senate is that at, at any one time, obviously the United States Senate has six-year terms. And so every two years, we're basically electing a third of the Senate. So I think, I think actually this cycle, there's what, 30, 
four races on the Senate. Anyway, most of them, most of them are Democratic seats, though. I, I mean, mo- most of these seats are there's not really a lot of places where Democrats can because so many Demo- so many seats Democrats already hold are on the ballot this cycle. They don't really have a lot, a very big window to make up ground to take over a majority in the Senate. The um, election and- after the president was elected, two years after that, tends to be the opposite party. Yeah. And we're to going be. to win quite a few, but I do not know if it'll be enough to win the Senate and the House now. You are you are right. It, it, it tends to be. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that but, but you're right. It tends to be rough when when a when a when a given political party's president wins. That next midterm is usually kind of tough for that political party. Now, the thing, two things about that: a, um, the the election map is running against Democrats at least in the Senate this time around, and b, uh, this is the Trump era, and I'm not sure that old political tropes hold true in the Trump era. Now, you could be right, Karen. Um, I I just don't know. I mean, to well, me, it's an absolute toss-up. I'll tell you, here in North Dakota, though, right now the winds are blowing pretty hard against Democrats. Well, uh, if there's a good president like Reagan, there isn't necessarily a drop. But uh, Trump, a lot of people are pretty mad at some of the things he's done. But his approval ratings have been going up, Karen. I'm saying when it comes to the election day and the voting, Trump is not going to be Reagan. Okay, well, if, if if Trump is not, I mean, and again, let's 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 drill this down to North Dakota again. If Trump is not popular, like if he's going to be some sort of liability to Republicans, why is Heidi Heitkamp and the Democrats spending so much time aligning themselves with President Trump? The state race is a different story than the national race. Well, the problem is, is if if I mean, this is this is one of the places. If Democrats can't hold this seat in North Dakota, then nationally. They're, they're, it's tougher for them to, to get control of the Senate, right? Because if Republicans I flip this seat in North Dakota, it's it's problem. You can't talk about the national story without talking about North Dakota, Karen. I There's think a reason Heidi will why be reelected. We will hold that seat. I I don't I don't know that that's I I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not saying you're right either. I don't think either of us knows, Karen. I that's, would not be that confident if I were you. Yes. All right. I'm telling you, I would not be that confident if I were you. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. All right, now we're going to get into this harassment issue. What do you think of this new tactic? What do you think of Maxine Water out there saying, make these people feel like they're not welcome? What do you think of it? Is it right? Are you okay with it? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Hey, I should add, in, in advance of the uh, Trump visit Wednesday, Trump visiting uh, Fargo Wednesday, uh, we're actually going to have Laura Trump on tomorrow, uh, and I'm working on getting somebody else from the Trump campaign on uh, Wednesday. So uh, we'll be uh, certainly covering that in depth here on WDAY, I'm sure, all day on all the shows uh, stay tuned for that. All right, Ben, what what are you thinking of this uh, this this issue where Sarah Sanders, uh, White House press secretary, gets booted from a restaurant? Uh, we have uh, Florida Attorney General and uh, Trump ally Pam Bondi harassed at a movie theater. DHS Secretary Kirsten Nelson, or excuse me, Kristen Nelson, uh, driven from a, a restaurant by protesters. Meanwhile, Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters says this: "I quote: If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant." in a department store, 
at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. It seems incredibly hypocritical given how much people on the left, you know, talk about tolerance when that is some of just the most intolerant stuff I've heard in a while. So it just seems very, very hypocritical. But it's it's it seems like a logical progression from the sort of rhetoric that they deploy against the Trump administration. Yeah. Right. Because if, if you if you believe that what President Trump is doing at the border with the families issue and immigration, if you believe that that's Nazism, if you believe that, that the way the Trump administration has gone about doing their jobs during the, the first uh, year plus in office is is the act of a tyrant, the act of a dictator. And again, this is rhetoric we, we hear, not just from fringe people on the Internet, but mainstream liberal pundits, mainstream liberal politicians. This is what we hear. So if you've, if you've created that perception that, you know, he's a tyrant, he's a Nazi, he's evil, then I guess it follows that it's okay to treat them like this, right? Because right. they're not merely... Uh, a group of Americans who also love this country but just have a different set of ideas for it. They're not that anymore. No, now they are the enemy. Mm-hmm. And now it's okay because it's it's okay to attack Nazis. It's okay to harass Nazis, right? They're Nazis. Right. Because they see themselves as the good guys in the situation and therefore they can just do whatever they want because they yeah. feel justified in it. One thing that I want to say in, in response to, because one, one sort of – talking point i've seen come out about the sarah sanders thing where she got kicked out of the restaurant is a lot of people saying well you're the jerks you're the jerks who don't want you know the 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 baker to to bake a a cake for a homosexual wedding right that's that's what we're saying so it's okay for this restaurant you know to to deny service to sarah sanders it's okay because you guys feel that way um and, and the thing is is i don't i don't think anybody is saying though the problem with that talking point is I haven't seen anybody saying on the right saying that the restaurant owner, what the restaurant owner did should be illegal. Maybe some no. are. I don't know. I haven't seen it. If, they, if people are saying that, they're wrong. There's a difference between thinking something is wrong. I think what the cake baker did was wrong. The guy who went all the way to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court came down on his side. Right? And they said, granted a very narrow decision, but they said, you know, he was what his decision was was fine or, or at the very least i guess what they said is his uh his his rights were not necessarily respected in the the process that colorado set out to, to adjudicate that matter uh, but again there's a difference between thinking something is wrong and thinking something should be illegal i think it's wrong uh for for people to to use racial slurs uh but from a first amendment perspective i don't think it should be illegal right that's the difference right so i think it's wrong that this restaurant owner treated Sarah Sanders like she was some sort of a dangerous felon and had to be ejected from her restaurant. I think that's wrong. I think that's I think that's a terrible thing to do. But I don't think it should be illegal. I support her right to refuse service to anyone. Just as I remember not long ago when we had a, a big debate in the, in the North Dakota legislature about uh, a gay rights bill. There were a number of lawmakers who voted against the gay rights bill, and there was at least one business in the Fargo area who said that they weren't going to serve the legislators who voted against that bill anymore. And you know what? I supported their right to do that. Didn't agree with it. I thought it was childish. I thought it was petty. But you know what? I think they have the right to do that sort of thing. But what I'm more worried about here, I mean, it's it's a scary thing. I mean, just the other day, Seth Rogen was talking about publicly how uh, he was uh, at an autograph signing or something, 
Uh, and he looked up and Speaker of the House Paul Ryan's kids were in line. Uh, and Seth Rogen told his kids, I'm not signing anything for, uh, for you because of your father. Well, at that point, it, that's just even more ridiculous to me because they're not their father. Right. They're not responsible for anything that they do, regardless of your opinion on the man. They're not responsible for that. So why it's, would you take it, it out on them? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's what I don't understand. Why is this OK? And, and listen, I, I am fine with a with a sprawling, muscular debate over over the policies. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with the brawl. I mean, we all get passionate about this stuff. We all care very deeply about this stuff. And so you're going to throw some elbows along the way. I mean, that's fine. I, I, what I don't understand is we've gotten to this point where it's just OK to say, oh, we're going to treat the other side like monsters. Especially given how scary it gets. It was just a year ago, just roughly a year ago, that a group of Republican members of Congress were fired upon by a man who was hopped up on left-wing politics. Right? I mean, this guy went out there and started taking, went out there with a gun and started taking pot shots and, and shot one of the Republican congressmen, wounded him very seriously. This is where we're at in this country. Now, what I want to add here at this point is that President Trump has a role in this as well. Some of his rhetoric has not been great either, and we'll talk yeah. about that next. But what do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. What do you think? We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. All right, we're talking about this uh, this stuff with Trump administration officials getting harassed, Republican officials getting harassed. It's not a good thing. But on the flip side, let's not pretend like this started with the the left, per se. Um, Donald Trump, during his campaign, was, well, he kind of did the same thing. He he kind of, I mean, he, he made statements that were not necessarily unlike what Maxine Waters had to say. Here's Trump at a Cedar Rapids, Iowa rally in february of 2016 he said i quote if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato knock the crap out of them would you seriously okay just knock the hell i promise i will pay for the legal fees i promise so he's basically telling his crowd to beat up a heckler yeah he's encouraging violence now here's another one in st louis from st louis a month later he said i quote nobody wants to hurt each other anymore right and they're being politically correct the way they take them out so it gets so it gets it takes a little bit longer and honestly, protesters, they realize it. They realize that there are no consequences to protesting anymore. So here again, now, President Trump, I mean, at the time, candidate Trump, in his defense, was talking about, and I'm not, not his defense, I shouldn't say that, to add some context to what he was saying. He was talking about people who were disrupting his rallies, people who were coming there who were trying to impede his ability to address his supporters. They were trying to impede the ability of, of a presidential candidate and his supporters uh, from, from holding a, a peaceful uh, assemblage. And he was responding to it, but he was responding to it by, by basically kind of doing the tit-for-tat thing. They show up and they're going to throw a tomato at me or they show up and they're going to disrupt my rally. We ought to beat the crap out of them. That's what he's saying. And now that's kind of what the left's doing too. Well, they're gonna they're gonna pass policies that we think are obnoxious. They're gonna pass policies that we don't like. So we're gonna harass them. We're gonna kick them out of restaurants. We're gonna drive them out of movie theaters. This is the problem. 
Jim Garrity, writing for National Review today, this is what he wrote. The problem is that this cycle of tit for tat leads to more and more people, leads more and more people to conclude that the opposition only understands the language of force and that they cannot be negotiated with, persuaded, or even tolerated in a form of coexistence. I mean, that, that's, that's really my problem. And again, I don't have a problem with disagreement. I don't have a problem with disagreement. What I have a problem with is this idea that the other side can, can be treated this way. I have a problem when, when, when disagreement goes beyond it to intolerance. And that's what we're seeing here is just among some factions, and I, and I don't even think that this is all Americans, but, but among the most vocal factions of each political side, the factions that, that for better or worse are, are, have become the faces of their respective political movements, this has become acceptable. I mean, you have people, and it's not acceptable. You have people saying that they can't be friends with people who align with another political party anymore. Yeah. Just because they vote for that specific I, party. Well, I remember that going all the way back to the George W. Bush administration. Yeah. I, I remember that there were left-wing groups <laughs> that were promoting. Because um, at the time, like, like the dating websites were kind of a new thing, right? Yep. Kind of a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So they, they were promoting the idea, like, like special dating websites where you would only date liberals, right? Or, or they were promoting the idea that, 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 that you, know, you should withhold sex from your partner if they're a Republican. I mean, I remember all the way back then. This was going on. Like the idea that, that like you can't just disagree with you. you and your spouse have to be in lockstep on politics. It's ridiculous. I know all sorts of couples who don't agree on politics. Right. Emailer says, why is it okay to refuse to kick out Sarah Huckabee, but not kick out two black guys sitting in Starbucks? That is a problem going back. And I addressed this earlier in the program. Um, this is a problem because, again, there's a lot of people who are invoking, uh, invoking the uh, – you know, the, the squabbling over uh, the, the guy who refused to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding or the wedding photographer who refused to take pictures for a homosexual wedding, all those cases, or the, the two guys in uh, in Starbucks. And so the left tells us, well, you, you, you can't just do that. You can't just discriminate that way. Well, now these same people are all like, oh, yeah, kick Sarah Sanders out of the out of the restaurant. And they're calling conservatives who are complaining about it. They're calling them a bunch of hypocrites. And again, that that boils down to a question of what should or should not be legal. The left thinks it should be, I, it, which is the funny thing. If you're a liberal who thinks it's bad for a cake baker to say, "Well, I can't, I can't bake a cake for a homosexual wedding," if you're a liberal who, who thinks that that's that's bad and that person should be punished under the law, then how is it okay to kick Sarah Sanders out of a restaurant for being nothing other than a member of the Trump administration? She wasn't being disruptive. She wasn't being rude. She wasn't doing anything illegal. She was just asked to leave because of her political affiliations. I mean, you you can't have it both ways. And by the way, there is a distinction. Again, I will make this point. I don't like what the cake baker did when he says, well, I'm not going to serve a homeless. I don't like that decision. I think it's wrong. And uh, I wouldn't do business with a business like that. They're making those sorts of decisions. I would as a as a personal matter i would choose not to to do business with them i don't think it should be illegal and that's the difference thing i also don't think it should be illegal for a restaurant owner to kick out a member of the trump administration i do however ben think it should be illegal where if you're just sitting in a restaurant dining and a bunch of protesters show up and start shouting at you that's that's clearly already illegal i mean that that, should be that's illegal. a different matter entirely that's harassment that yes that's harassment 
And, and by the way, would would I mean, did, did conservatives feel no less strongly about President Obama than le- the left feels about President Trump? I there are plenty of conservatives that didn't like President Obama. Trump, one of them, right? Yeah. So c- can you imagine if it was a group of like Tea Party conservatives who were who were uh, you know saying, "Hey, let's let's get after Trump administration, like Trump cabinet members." If we see him in a restaurant, if you see him out at the movies or something, gather up and harass him. I mean, if if, if conservative, the media would be apoplectic. But it's Trump, so I guess it's different, and it's it's really not different. We shouldn't. Nobody should treat. Should I, I would not have supported treating Obama administration officials that way. I don't support treating Trump officials that way. I'd I'd rather us just get back to a point where we can stop treating each other like we're Nazis. Stop treating each other. And it really, I mean, that's what this whole thing is sort of built on. I mean, absurdly. This need for, for like social media and professional one-upsmanship and professional punditry. The virtue signaling. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's like it's like everybody's got to be in line to say the most provocative thing so that they could get the most YouTube views or they could get the most retweets or what have you. I mean, that's that's what we're doing. And, and so what happens is then we start getting absurd, right? We, I mean, we had the former director of the FBI under George W. Bush was on Twitter comparing the detention camps, the detention facilities along the southern border, border to Nazi concentration camps. Now, I, I understand if, if you don't like what we're doing at the southern border, fine. But but let's at least let's admit that that's not the same as going around and gathering up Jews and then exterminating them systematically. Can we at least agree that far? Because what we're doing with those camps at the southern border is we're, we're taking people who are coming to the border with their children and then getting charged with a crime, at which point their children are separated from them. That's not the same as rounding people up because of their ethnicity into a concentration camp. But so many people out there, they insist that that's a valid comparison. And the problem is if you insist that that's a valid comparison, then the Trump administration must be Nazis. And if they're Nazis, then they're evil. And if they're evil, then I guess it's okay to uh, to, to, to harass them. This is where we're at. And it's a dangerous place to be. Trump's played his part in it. The left's played his part in it. Uh, and we need to de-escalate all of this. None of this is helpful. Well, and the thing I always hear from people on both the right and left, whenever, you know, you talk to them about saying these things, you know, encouraging violence or discriminating against people, they say, well, the other side's doing it, too. So why can't we do it? To yeah. Which, you know, the high road is an option. You can be yeah. better than the people you disagree with by not stooping to their level if they say that kind of stuff. Well, that is I mean, it's it's there's actually it, it's called the two coke fallacy Two coke being Latin basically for you, too. Right. Okay. I mean, you did it, too. And mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you. That's what my kids do, right? When they get caught doing something they shouldn't be doing, they say, well, my sister did it too. Oh, yeah, I did it all the time as a kid, yeah. Which really doesn't change the fact that you're doing it. And if you think that the other side doing it is wrong, then you shouldn't also do it. Two wrongs do not make a right. I I feel feel like, I mean, this this is like kindergarten stuff. This is stuff we learned in kindergarten, but people don't understand it now. And you know what the ugliest thing about this? Because every, I mean, it's an election year, which is a big reason why so much of this is nasty, right? It's an election year. 
um, and, and, and election year politics. I mean, you look at the Heitkamp campaign. I wrote my print column about it on Sunday. I mean, the Heitkamp, Senator Heitkamp wins elections by inspiring people to hate her opponents, not dislike them, not feel that they have the wrong policies, but to hate them as people. That's what they did to Rick Berg in 2012. That's what they're trying to do to Kevin Kramer in 2018. This is how they win elections. And the reason why they do that is because it works. Negative politics works. Nasty rhetoric, calling the other side Nazis, it works. It draws a crowd. It gets people's attention. What it doesn't work toward is, by the way, is building a consensus. What it doesn't work for is persuading people to agree that you're right. But none of that matters anymore. Now it's all just pitched combat. More to come straight ahead. Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. I'm just laughing. Ben, have you ever seen that movie Notting Hill? It's got um, Hugh Grant in it, Julia Roberts. No, I've never seen it. It's a total chick flick, but I like it because, I don't know, I'm part girl or something. I don't know. Um, It's a good movie. I I think it's funny. But there's a part in there where Hugh Grant, he runs a travel bookstore, and Julia Roberts' character, uh, who plays... Sort of an autobiographical role. Julia Roberts is kind of play a, a A-list movie American celebrity, and she's filming in London, and she goes in this travel bookstore, and Hugh Grant meets her. Uh, and she's looking at travel books, and she opens one. And she goes, oh, it's signed by the author, and he cracks a joke saying, oh, yeah, uh, if you could find an unsigned copy, it's worth an absolute fortune, right? Basically <laughs> saying you can't stop this guy from signing his books. If you could find an unsigned one, it's actually right. worth more. I thought about that because I was just on Twitter, <laughs> and I saw I saw a tweet from – Democratic Secretary of State candidate Josh Boucher. And Josh is a good guy. I like Josh. He comes on the program all the time. He's a nice guy. Uh, but this, here's, here's, here's the tweet. He goes, it's that time. Reserve your yard sign. Right? Because you have to make a reservation <laughs> to get a yard sign. These are tough to get, Ben. You have to reserve <laughs> to get one? Well, that's what he says. Reserve your yard sign. The first hundred people to reserve will get a yard sign autographed by Josh and our staff. <laughs> I, oh wait, I, no, no, I, no. Here, here we go. Autographed by by Josh and our staff will make sure you get it delivered to your home. Okay, so it's just autographed okay. by Josh. I I miss I misread that. But but still, I've never heard of anybody wanting an autographed yard sign for like a campaign candidate. Wait, this isn't even I I I, I could get like I mean you see like presidential candidates signing autographs. Yeah, right. Yeah. I guess I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh. Who wants the autograph of the Secretary of State candidate? Beats me, man. I, I'm i not that, even sure that 50% of North Dakotans, if asked, could name who our current Secretary of State is, and he's been in office since the early 1990s. It just it struck me as funny. It, I'm it, having a laugh about it. It and, and the reason more why silly I'm, than anything else. It's a little bit silly. And, and also, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, well, I don't know if I want the sort of person who thinks, I mean, he's a state lawmaker. He's running for secretary of state. He thinks people want his autograph. I'm kind of feeling like maybe that's somebody we don't want in public office. I I feel like we have enough big egos in in, in elected office. It just seems kind of fun to me. I don't think there's any harm in it. All right, fine, fine, Ben. Throw water on it. I thought it was funny. I I, I just think it's funny, but I don't think it's harmful. No, I no, you're right. I it just struck me as a little bit funny. And again, I I like Josh. He's a nice guy. He comes on the program. He's, yeah. he's a good guy. But I just I that just cracked me up a little bit. Just to, if you can find a Boucher for for Secretary of State sign <laughs> that's not autographed, 
that might be worth some money. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, let's see. Um, on Twitter, because we've been talking about this uh, situation with uh, the, the politicians and, and harassment and everything. On Twitter, a listener says, wait a second, Rob, you disagree with Heidi Heitkamp politically and harass her repeatedly. How is that justified? Well, I don't think it's harassment for me to, like, repeatedly ask her press office for an interview. How is that harassment? No, you're not. You're just asking for an interview. That's I, I asked yeah. for an interview. In fact, I sent like an email ask this morning else. asking for an interview. I asked an email. I asked. This literally my job is to interview public figures. Yeah. And I write about, yeah, I write about Senator Heitkamp a lot. She's one of the most prominent politicians in our state. Uh, she's engaged in a Senate campaign that's in the national spotlight. Uh, and I write about North Dakota politics. Yeah, I write about her a lot. I, I don't understand how that's harassment. I, I'll tell you, over, over the weekend, I mean, you want to talk about how crazy it's getting. There was somebody on, uh, on, on the Fargo Forum Facebook page, Ben, who says that I ought to be put in jail Why? for my criticism of Senator Heitkamp. Why do you need to go in because jail? Because I'm that? my my stalkerish behavior towards her. Oh, I'm stalking her, I guess, because as a member of the media, I write columns about her and request request interviews through her press office. That makes me a stalker, and I guess I should go to jail. Get, but this is, I mean, this is the problem. You can't just disagree with the other side. Uh, you gotta hate them too, you know. And and I yeah. think you look at Senator Heitkamp's campaign. I think that's I in my column. I called it. Um, I called it hate, and I think it is. I think that's how Senator Heitkamp wins elections, is by making people hate her opposition. And I don't I don't think Republicans are necessarily doing the same thing to her. As a matter of fact, Kevin Kramer, in his late, latest TV ad, says everybody likes Heidi. I, honestly, I think she sounds like a nice gal. I think, I think Senator Heitkamp, by all accounts, now she'll never talk to me, but by all accounts, she seems like a nice, a nice person. Um... Outside of the fact that professionally, politically, on a, on a professional level, you know, she's she's pretty vicious. I think what you got outside that, she seems like a fun time, but I don't know. But it's not about that. It's not really about – we're not electing dinner guests. We're electing members no. of the United States Senate to make public policy. Right? I voted for Republicans I don't personally like on a, on a personal level because I think that they'll they'll pursue the right sort of policy for our state. And for our federal government, that's that's what you do. So I, I don't know. I we, we we've got to step down from some of this. That person that you're disagreeing with on Facebook, that's another human being. They're not evil. The members of the Trump administration, they're not evil. You may disagree no. with their politics, and you may think that their the policies that they're pursuing will have negative outcomes. But we've got to stop. We've got to stop pushing this idea that that is coming from a place of hatred. I don't think that it is. I just don't. All right, more to come straight ahead. Jonathan Williams from Alex going to be on. Uh, he's a chief economist for the American Legislative Exchange Council. We're going to be talking more about that sales tax question. That's at 1 o'clock. Also at 1.30, polling. Granted, polling from back in February, but new polling out today shows that a plurality of North Dakotans support legalizing recreational marijuana. We'll get an update from David Owen. He's the chairman of that campaign. All that coming up in Hour 2 of the Rob Report. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, so, all right, we'll, we'll probably continue the discussion of uh, the whole Trump and civility and harassing people. Cory Booker just had some pretty amazing comments on this. I just he, he says he's OK with confronting people, but it should be done with love. So basically, he's saying that, well, if you see a Trump administration official uh, in the grocery store or something, feel free to confront them. Just do it with love. Huh. Right. That- because I, I'm, I'm sure if you're the Secretary of Homeland Security, you want people just coming up to you in the grocery store and, and, and starting conversations right. <laughs> with you about. I mean, can, can, we, can we get some? I mean, what a, what a weasel. What a, what a weasel thing to say for Cory Booker. Like, he's trying, to make it, he's trying to make it sound like he's calling with civility without having the gumption to, uh, to, to, to condemn what his side is doing is wrong. And really, that's we'll, we'll get to my guests here in just a minute. i got to finish this rant. Really, this is the problem, right, is, like, Democrats, like like moderate Democrats who maybe don't approve of what's being done here, they don't want to condemn. All they want to say is, well, Trump people do it, too. And all the Trump people want to say is, well, Democrats do it, too. At some point, somebody's just got to stand up and say, you know what, it's wrong. I want to have a debate. I disagree with the other side. But what, but what we're doing here is wrong. That's what he should have said. Instead, he's a flippin' what a weasel. Anyway. Okay, we're not talking about that anymore. Let's go to our guest. We're going to talk about sales taxes now. Now, last week we had on uh, Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger. We were talking about this. Uh, Supreme Court striking down Quill v. North Dakota. Uh, they've now set a new precedent whereby uh, states can tax, uh, apply their, their local sales taxes to online sales. Now, the precedent under Quill, which, frankly, I, I thought made a lot of sense, was States cannot tax entities that don't have a physical presence in their borders. Uh, now we're saying that's not the case anymore. We can extend those sales taxes to businesses, uh, even if they have no physical presence in your state at all. Um, now, Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger and others are seeing that as a victory from North Dakota, mostly through the lens of that means probably about, he's estimating about another $100 million in revenue per biennium for the state of North Dakota. But I'm worried about some of the other implications, not the least is, where are our interstate commerce protections? If all of a sudden states can start extending a policy like taxation beyond their borders, what other policies can they extend beyond their borders? Here to talk with you about that is Jonathan Williams. He is the chief economist for the American Legislative Exchange Council. Jonathan, how are you doing? Well, I'll tell you, greetings from the land of make-believe here, Washington, D.C., and I wish I could say I was better, but I think this last uh, ruling there, the court uh, made on the welfare case, but got it exactly wrong and is horrible for taxpayers and small yeah. businesses across the country. It's, it's not surprising to me at all that the jurisprudence on this matter is coming from the Dakotas. Quill v. North Dakota, of course, being the original one from back in the 80s, uh, actually involved a mail-order business. Uh, South Dakota involving an inter- internet business, the South Dakota case, which overturned Quill, South Dakota v. Wayfair. Um, I'm not surprised because out here in uh, you know in in in, on, in the Plain states, we have a long history. As a matter of fact, my my great grandparents ordered a, a house from a Sears catalog. Um, so we have a long history of of mail order and internet businesses. It's very important to rural America. Uh, but but Jonathan, I mean, what, we have state officials here that are happy. That are saying th- these are these are missed revenues. These are people who are are, are cheating us out of out of tax revenues uh, because we have North Dakota citizens buying stuff and we're not we're not taxing those transactions as they should be. That's their argument. What's wrong with it? 
Well, they claim that we're not taxed enough, I guess. I mean, I, I think you see a, a difference in the argument sometimes when people say, well, well we should cut taxes with this extra revenue we're going to get, and let's hope that they've been honest about making those promises all these years since the Quill case. But on the other hand, I think we're going to see a lot of states pocket this money, build it into spending, and just use it to grow government. But the, the biggest yeah. problem to this, Rob, is you know this is an affront on our constitutional form of government. In the Constitution, Article One, Congress has the power to protect interstate commerce, because we had this experience with the Articles of Confederation. One of the big reasons, of course, that fell apart pre-United States, pre-Constitution, was the idea that states at the time, the colonies, had become fiefdoms and were putting up trade barriers and making it virtually impossible to conduct internet, uh, interstate commerce. Today, fast forward to the Internet times, I think this is akin to potentially opening the doors for states and now 12 or 13,000 different taxing jurisdictions on local levels of taxes on top of the states to create today's version of fiefdoms and really hurt interstate commerce and ultimately hurt taxpayers. That's what that's what that, that's what worries me. And it worries me for two reasons. A, North Dakota and frankly South Dakota are are we're low population states on on the national scene. We don't have a lot of weight to flow around, you know, throw around. We don't have a lot of votes in the electoral college for presidential elections. Uh, we don't have a lot of representation in Congress. We have our two senators, of course, but just one at-large member of Congress. Uh, we don't have a lot of weight to throw around. And so that's one problem. And then the other problem is we're also an export-heavy state. We produce commodities. We produce oil. We produce egg crops, egg crops. We produce uh, – we have ranching. I mean, we, we produce a lot of that stuff. Uh, we don't consume it here. We ship it out of state. So we do a ton of interstate commerce. And so what I'm worried here – is we've now created a situation where states like California could say, oh, hey, uh, you're shipping oil into California. Uh, all of you oil companies that are shipping oil into California, uh, we, wanna, we, wanna, we want you to adhere to California oil regulations or California taxes. I, I, I mean, I, I look at this precedent we just set in Wayfair. I, I feel like, like th- there's got to be politicians in places like California looking at that and saying, hey, we got an opportunity here to, to tax and regulate well beyond our borders. I think the conservative states who are duped by this argument that we need Internet taxes, uh, this is very short-sighted because, to your point, the states that are going to take most aggressively the advantage on this are going to be the New Yorks and the Californias that are already have very aggressive revenue departments that, by the way, uh, certain business owners that try to travel one day of the year, let's say, through Kennedy Airport in New York, New York's uh, Department of Revenue is already trying to collect taxes from there for that one day of revenue that they claim to be New York-based revenue. So guess what? Turn that army of tax collectors on small business owners, people trying to expand their business uh, selling online, of course, is the future for small business. And I think we run into a scenario where uh, many small businesses are going to stop selling or stop expanding because it's going to be so difficult to navigate the various hurdles of potential compliance and audit risk. And if I were a small business owner, Rob, the last thing I would want, if I'm a North Dakota small business owner, is to be someday brought before an out-of-state tax court in a state like New York. This is, does nothing but empower administrators, bureaucrats, and tax collectors, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, and that was one thing. I mean, we, when I had our, our tax commissioner, Ryan Rauschenberger, on the, uh, on the program last week, I was talking with him about this. And one place he acknowledged is, it's not real clear how we're going to enforce this. Now, not all states have, I mean, a, a lot, a, I think it's like 31 states have some sort of policy in place to apply the sales tax 
two online businesses without a physical presence in their state. North Dakota is one of them. Our policy, which is much like South Dakota's policy, basically has a threshold. You have to do $100,000 worth of transactions or 200 transactions, one or the other. And so I'm asking him, well, how do you enforce that? Right. I mean, how do you and basically said, well, we're going to go after the big guys first. I guess something. Well, Amazon already collects, but big, big, probably very recognizable retailers like that. We're going to go after them first. But he said beyond that, you know, we're not really sure and we're going to have to come up with compliance. That scares the hell out of me, Jonathan. I mean, because I'm thinking to myself, they're going to get greedy for revenues. Right. Maybe not. North, but, but some of these places have very aggressive people. They're going to get greedy, and I have a feeling that that some of their enforcement efforts are going to are going to be pretty severe and pretty ugly and, and pretty detrimental to you know so, so, sort of this um, this this vibrant entrepreneurial spirit we've had to date on the internet. Well, absolutely, and that's one of the great things about keeping the light touch of government regulation on the Internet to allow it to grow over these uh, 25 years since the Quill decision in 1992 that is – you know, certainly enabled the uh, the whole platforms of, of e-commerce and the people to take advantage of that to uh, buy products and services that uh, make them better off. I think it throws that whole uh, system certainly at risk. And then, you know, if you're a small business owner, they may start with, let's say, the big guys. And I think that's actually one of the biggest myths of this debate is somehow this was going to be getting at Amazon transactions. But as you correctly point out, Amazon is collecting in all 45 states that have sales taxes. And so this was uh, never about Amazon. It was always about kind of in, in one case, I guess you could look at uh, perhaps since, since Amazon was lobbying on behalf of many of these Internet tax uh, bills before Congress, that maybe they're locking in their market share. And uh, maybe the smaller guys coming up behind Amazon yeah. are going to be really the ones that will be impacted. It's, uh, well, it's, and, like, know, it's like when Walmart supports increasing the minimum wage. That's because Walmart workers typically make – above the minimum wage, what they're taking aim at are their smaller regional competitors who may be paying, you know, the mom-and-pop store down the street who may actually be paying somebody at the minimum wage if they inflate their competitors' costs of doing business uh, at no detriment to themselves. Why wouldn't they do that? They're just locking in their market share, as you said. Yeah, and of course, Walmart and Amazon already have physical presence everywhere. So Walmart's been supporting this Internet tax concept for a long time. And, yeah. you know, the thing that I always think back to is one of the founders of Overstock.com, uh, Patrick Byrne, testified before Congress. And he said, you know, we're a big company now. And we'd be fine probably uh, enforcing in some of these cases, although they were a party to that uh, case in South Dakota in the Wayfair case. He said, though, that if the system that will probably exist in the months and years ahead after the Wayfair ruling existed at the time of Overstock's founding, they would never have grown into the company they are today. And that's what worries me. For sure. Now, but but what about the extension? Am, am I wrong? And by the way, if people want to call in 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Jonathan, am I wrong in thinking that this precedent goes beyond just taxation? Because I'm really, North Dakota fought a years-long litigation with the state of Minnesota over coal-fired electricity originating in North Dakota. North Dakota is a coal state. We produce a lot of lignite coal. We burn a lot of that coal. We transmit most of that electricity out of state because we produce far more than we can use in the state. A lot of it goes to Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, as part of some green initiative years ago, implemented some policies to try to inhibit the flow of coal-fired electricity from North Dakota into their state. Years-long litigation, uh, the state of Minnesota lost in the appeals courts and finally gave up because the courts basically said, hey, 
interstate commerce. Congress regulates interstate commerce, not the state of Minnesota. But now we've got this precedent from the Supreme Court on sales taxes. Do states like Minnesota have grounds to come back and say, oh, okay, well, I guess now we can regulate uh, coal-fired electricity into our state since, since that sort of thing's okay now? Well, I think it certainly opens a can of worms. I think, you know, one of the principles that this gets to is states should not be able to tax or regulate outside of their borders. And ironically, South Dakota was engaged in fighting back against California regulations on agriculture, right, on the size of pens that they would use for, for livestock and, uh, and uh, shipping cartons of eggs and, and uh, certain regulations like that. And so I think it gets back to some fundamental principles, which are we should not support any taxation without representation, with the, which is that. And then on top of that, we need to make sure that states like California and New York, which, of course, have chosen their own philosophy of government, it's a high-tax, big-government form, should not be able to reach across their state borders and regulate and tax citizens from states and, and states that have taken a much different, more free market approach to their governor. You know, we have uh, every year we write the book, Rich States, Poor States, just talking about how the tax states, uh, high tax states are continually losing population and businesses to the low tax states. Things that inhibit that tax competition, like this ruling in Wayfair and like regulating across state lines, hurt all of us. It hurts tax competition. And it, it hurts low tax states that are actually trying to get it right at the end of the day. That's why I think the uh, officials in South Dakota in this case, are being very short-sighted because South Dakota is not going to be the net recipient out of this uh, new system. It's going to be the high-tax states that are going to benefit. I always felt like the solution to this was was Congress acting, or, or maybe even the states acting to form like an interstate compact uh, and, and you know sort of agreements with themselves where they're going to share revenue that goes across borders, get that ratified by something like that that preserves the interstate commerce clause. You know, we could have a debate about whether or not. I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that the retail landscape has changed. North Dakota gets a significant amount of its general fund revenue from the sales tax. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I like the idea of consumption taxes as, as public policy. Uh, the retail landscape has changed. I'm not necessarily against maybe finding some creative ways uh, for our tax code to reflect that. My big peccadillo here is... The way we went about doing it, where the courts just sort of undermined the interstate commerce clause. Was, should Congress have acted? Should Congress have done something? Or maybe the states banding together interstate commerce that's a interstate uh, compact that is approved by Congress? Something, would that have been a better solution, Jonathan? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's essentially what the court said in 1992 in the Quill decision, is that Congress has the ultimate authority under Article One of the Constitution to come in and set boundaries to make sure that states don't go above uh, the, the regulation and taxation thresholds that would burden interstate commerce. And, uh, you know, Congress did not act for whatever reason. Uh, perhaps they had other priorities, right? They were worried about lots of other things and encroaching in the lives of businesses and individuals in many other ways, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, I think this will take congressional oversight. It will take some broad protections for interstate commerce and small business. And there are some options as well for states to pursue, let's say, simplicity and, and let's create some uniform definitions of products. Because, for instance, in a state like Illinois, uh, products as similar as Twix uh, may be taxable because it's considered a candy, and, and other candy bars might be considered non-taxable because they're food products. And so uh, we really need to get uniform definitions 
simplicity and make sure we limit the ability of states to go overboard when it comes to auditing out-of-state businesses. Because if there's anything easier to do politically, that is export your tax burden and make somebody else pay the burden and make sure that that tax is hidden. That's that's really, I think, the thing that we need to uh, be careful of. And I think states can get together in some sort of interstate compact maybe to address that through things like streamlined sales tax project. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, and I think that's the better way to – but uh, now, unfortunately, this ruling is uh, – it's precedent. Um, and I, I worried about I, – I, I have a feeling we're going to – North Dakota may live to regret having been party to setting this precedent. Uh, but, Jonathan, thank you for uh, your time today. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wish I had better news, but we will live to fight another day. For sure. Jonathan Williams, he's a chief economist for the American Legislative Exchange Council. Alec, this is the Rob Report. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. This is what we need right now, Ben. Just some nice, mellow music. Everybody could chill the heck out. Relax. Yeah. Just relax. Mm-hmm. Just calm down. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't I don't understand. You know, even uh, talking, and I again, I... Just to reiterate from our last segment, I, I think we're going to regret the Supreme Court ruling on, on sales taxes. I know a lot of people talking about fairness and everything else. What we just did to the Interstate Commerce Clause is not a good thing for a state like North Dakota. But let's uh, let's continue. We, we've been talking about this whole thing with, uh, you know, Sarah Sanders getting kicked out and Maxine Waters calling on people. So, so Cory Booker. Uh, was appearing on MSNBC with Andrea Mitchell, and they played for her for him, Representative uh, Maxine Waters. Uh, she's a Democratic congresswoman from California, uh, encouraging supporters to publicly harass Trump officials uh, during a rally uh, over the weekend. And um, they, they played the, the audio like, here's what Waters said. She said, I quote, if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd, you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. Um, so but she basically asked Cory Booker about this. And Cory Booker tries to, like, pay lip service to civility. And he says, I quote, yes, you should protest. Yes, you should confront evil and injustice. But do it in the ways that Martin Luther King did. Recognize the dignity of even those who you oppose, even those who are trying to destroy you. He says, uh, if I saw an administrator out and about, there's nothing wrong with confronting that person, but not to lead with love and to do it in a way that's more reflective of the values that we are trying to reject in our country is unacceptable to me. I'm wondering what he means by lead with love. Like, how do you do that? How do you how do you confront somebody who's like not I mean they're not at work they're off the clock they're like at the grocery store they're having dinner they're maybe they're with their kids or something and now you're just gonna go up to them and like start haranguing them about I mean what does he expect like you're just gonna go up and like start a debate with them in the diaper aisle at the grocery store Yeah I just how if, about if we just leave people work, alone yeah, when they're on their private time Yeah. They have I have right no problem with people protesting outside of, like, public buildings. Great. That's protected yeah. by the First Amendment. It's healthy for our democracy. That's a wonderful thing. Don't protest at their house. Don't find them in a restaurant and chase them out. And, and also, by the way, he's, he's talking about, you know, you've got to lead with love. But what else does he say? He says you should confront evil. So Which, we're going to lead with love, but the other side's evil. Yeah, what what that implies that they are evil just doesn't help anything no matter what you yeah. say after that if you lead with that the other thing he says is, is is that we should be recognizing the dignity of even those who you oppose even those who are trying to destroy you 
So he's saying, oh, lead with love, but the other side's evil and they're trying to destroy you. I, I yeah, feel like those I, are some mixed messages. You're still low-key demonizing the other side when you say stuff like that, regardless of, you know, saying that you want to confront them with love. You're still saying they're evil, they're going to try and destroy you, which doesn't help anything. Yeah, they're evil and they're going to destroy you, but confront them with love. No, I get it. I mean, okay, sure. Okay, you want to talk about, like, like Gandhi and stuff like that, you know, sort of, or even Martin Luther King, who yeah, confronted he violence. Yeah. Right, right. He, he confronted violence and bigotry with peaceful protest. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Uh, but what Trump is doing is not, and again, that, that even creates a false equivalence, right? Like, I don't think what Trump is doing is evil. I think it's silly to call it evil. Now, you may say it's misguided. You may, may say it's poor public policy. I'll get that. I'll have a debate about you with that. But to say that it's evil? I mean, that assumes that the Trump administration set out to separate kids from parents. And I don't think that's what they did. I think that was a side effect of what they did. What they set out to do was to charge everybody crossing our very poorest southern border illegally, charging them all with a crime. An action that, per previous jurisprudence, necessitates that the kids be separated from the parents. So hopefully, at some point, Congress will act. We won't have to do that anymore, and we'll get started forcing the law at our southern border. But to say that that's inherently evil is absurd. But I guess that's the place you go, because if you just say, well, it's, it's evil, now we're debating about whether or not it's evil. We're not debating about whether or not it's good it, policy. It's not about policy anymore. It's about morality. It's not about policy anymore. It's it's about demonizing the other side so that you can win the news cycle. That's what it is. It's pathetic. I hate it. All right, we're going to talk about legalizing recreational marijuana. There's a there's a ballot measure. It's being circulated out there, petition to put it on the ballot. Deadline's July 9th. Polling from Legalize ND says a plurality of North Dakotans. Support legalizing recreational marijuana. What do you think? We'll get an update where they are with their signatures, too. David Owen from uh, Legalize ND joins me next here on the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Uh, all right, so we're coming up on the deadline to get ballot measures uh, on the statewide ballot for November. That's July 9th. they got to have their signatures in. Uh, it's like it's almost 14,000 signatures uh, for a statutory measure for a constitutional measure. I think it's well, I think it's almost 27,000 signatures. Am I right? Somewhere like 26, 27,000. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, those they got to be in by July 9th if they want to be on the, uh, the, the statewide ballot. Uh, and right now, I believe the only ballot measure that's qualified for November is the uh, Ethics Commission ballot measure. Yeah. Uh, but the other one, I'm pretty sure, is going to make it, and he could certainly give us an update on that pro- on, on the progress there. Uh, is the the ballot measure to legalize recreational marijuana in North Dakota, uh, and the other provision in the ballot measure is that it would expunge the records of those convicted uh, for that sort of activity uh, in the past. Now, it should be clear, uh, it wouldn't alleviate any you know sentencing or, or any jail time or anything that they have to do. Uh, it would just expunge the record. That was all, that's all it would do. Uh, David Owen. Uh, is with Legalize ND. He is the, uh, I guess, the chief organizer behind this effort. David, how you doing? Great. How are you doing? Uh, very good. Now, the impetus for having you on the program today was to talk about uh, some polling that you released. Now, you've, you've actually had this polling for a while. It was conducted back in February. 
uh, but you you folks released it to me over the weekend, and it what I mean the numbers are pretty good. Um, they're showing a a plurality of uh, North Dakotans saying that they would support uh, would vote for your ballot measure. As a matter of fact, here, here's how the question was asked in the survey. It's conducted by the Kitchens Group. Um, it uh, had 522 eligible voters in North Dakota interviewed, uh, conducted through the Internet. The question was, in November, North Dakota voters may be asked to vote on a referendum to legalize marijuana for recreational purposes. The measure would also seal the records of people convicted of marijuana possession. If the election were held today, would you vote? People saying yes, 46%, no, 39%, undecided, 15%. David, were you surprised by those results? Um, I wasn't that surprised. Um it was about what we expected. We thought we would be close to 50 on our initial poll, and that's about where we were at, um, because we figured we'd be about 10% below the medicinal. And keep in mind, medicinal, while it may have finished in the mid-60s, didn't start there. It started in the low 50s. So this is about what we expected. Um, and I think it's great news, because it shows us outside the margin of error, in fa- and it shows that North Dakota support this. It also shows that basically... Everyone in the state agrees that this will benefit the agricultural communities of North Dakota. Everyone's agreeing on that. Um, I believe it was 50 to 44 agreed in favor that this is great for ag. So I think that it just shows that people are ready. Yeah, well, I, I should I should note that 50 to 44 is, is not everybody because there's still 44 saying uh, that it won't benefit agriculture. But I, I, I agree with you. I think it's strong. I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, basically uh, no way recreational marijuana gets legalized in North Dakota. No way. We're too socially conservative. Uh, I would, A, point out to, uh, you know, that, that the recreational ballot measure surprised a lot of people. There were most political observers that I spoke to, including, and, and myself, frankly, were wrong about that one. I didn't think recreational, or excuse me, medical marijuana would pass on the ballot. Uh, it passed with very, very strong numbers. Uh, well over, uh, nearly 64% of voters uh, cast their ballots for it. Um, I'm not sure that your measure could get to 64%, but even though that this poll was taken back in February, David, I, I got to think that you're within striking distance of getting a majority on this. Well, I think we're doing better than we were in February. Keep in mind, in early to mid-February, people didn't understand the definition of expungement. Um, there was some misinformation going around, which basically people thought we were releasing people early from prison, and we're not. And since we've corrected that and since people are starting to understand that because we've done a better job of communicating, that was the single largest issue for people being against it. So now that that's cleared up, I think that's gonna, that we're actually much stronger than the poll suggests. Yeah. Now, David, I, I do think you're going to have – because in, 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 the, uh, in the campaigns – you know, for instance, Senator Heidi Heitkamp in the morning consult poll, uh, there was sort of a generic ballot question asked uh, about her. You know, would you prefer Senator Heitkamp be re- reelected or would you prefer somebody else? Now, in that poll, I think it was like 36 percent said reelect her, 50 percent said elect somebody else. Now, the thing is, as we look at the Mason Dixon poll, it's a much different situation. Um, she's much, you know, getting, pulling. She's still four points behind Kevin Kramer, but she's pulling much higher than thirty-six percent. And the reason for that is, is because, you know, in a vacuum, yeah, anybody can can look popular in a vacuum. It, the dynamic changes once there's an actual defined opposition. Now, to this point, 
you haven't really faced an organized opposition. At some point, I imagine around the time you get this thing on the ballot, you're going to see some sort of an organized, and I don't know who it's going to be yet, maybe law enforcement groups, I don't know, uh, but they're going to come out with an organized opposition. They're going to make a counter argument that could mo- move these poll numbers for you. Are you ready for that? And and you know what what are you expecting to hear against this? So the, the three things that I think they're going to try and use against this are they're going to try and hammer DUIs, which is a misinformation campaign. We already have very specific and very strict uh, DUI laws to give a lot of discretion to the officers. Basically, the way our current DUI law is written for marijuana, it says that the officer believes that a substance has impaired the individual's ability to drive the vehicle in any way that it can be given a DUI. The DUI argument is based on false information as a non-starter. That's going to be their first argument. Their second argument, they're going to try and come down to cultural conservative values. Fair. That's a matter of opinion. They're going to try and argue that it's worse than alcohol or that it's this or that, which in my opinion is nonsense, but they're free to have that opinion. And the third thing that they're going to really try and hammer us on is just they're going to try that misinformation campaign with early release. Um, I was talking to legislators over the past two weeks, and they had received information which led them to believe that this was releasing people from prison early, which it doesn't do. So now, who 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 was this? Uh, where where was that information? information, David? Where where what? was that information going? Where was that information coming from? From uh, to lawmakers? Um, I can tell you one of the groups that was sending stuff like this out. Let me get the exact copy of the email. Oh God. Okay, and so the but it wasn't. But gave it to me doesn't want to be public, but I do. I can send it to you as long as you remain anonymous, or as long as uh, you don't uh, spread okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, but basically, yeah, people people disseminating information saying that this would, um, you know, th- this this would let people out if people already convicted. Because I mean, that would be honestly, I would have a problem with that. I mean, I don't necessarily mind. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put it in. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I I don't mind I don't mind sealing the records of people who were convicted in the past of this. But um, I I do think if you broke the law, even though I I do think recreational marijuana should be legal. Um, I do think that if you broke the law because you're using recreational marijuana before it was legal, you got to face the consequences. That's the law. Um, and we've got a process of changing the law. I think we might be changing the law come November. But, um, yeah, do, do you have the name of that group there, David? Um, so the group that was sending information to legislators was um, SAM and the National Families in Action were the two groups oh. that were sending out information. Interesting. Yeah, if you would send that to me, I'd like to follow up on that. Now, David, let me ask you this question. Where are you at with signatures? you got to get you know, just under 14,000 signatures to make the ballot. I think when I checked in with you folks in March, you were about halfway there. How are you doing? So as we do our collections once a month, as in we get everybody from all over the state, we get them all in one house in Fargo, and we count them. So as of June 1st, we were at 13,000. So... Barring a catastrophe, we will be on the ballot. All right. Well, that's uh, that's good news. So, so as of June first, you're at about thirteen thousand. Yes, give or take, like a hundred. Yeah. So, but and now, of course, you're you're going to want to have north of that, and that that of course Our was was a few weeks 16, ago. Now, 000. your goal is to get sixteen thousand. That should give you a nice buffer because usually what we see with these is is some are you know some signatures are po- tossed out because they're illegible or 
or somebody uh, somebody signed with a P.O. box or something like that that, that invalidates them. But uh, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling this is going to be on the November ballot. Yep, the standard rejection rate for signatures is less than 5%. It's usually what it shakes out to. Yeah. Well, that's so, that's good news. Um, and then once, I mean, once you're on your ballot, I mean, that's just half the fight. Uh, are you prepared to have yeah. a statewide campaign? I mean, are you guys raising money to where you can, uh, you know, do We're, some advertising, do some marketing and that behind this? We are a grassroots effort, first and foremost. And grassroots efforts always lag behind in fundraising compared to major campaigns and all that. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah. But, yes, we are trying to fundraise. We're doing okay. We've got some stuff in the pipeline. Um, it's a little slower than we'd like, but we're working as hard as we can on fundraising. But ultimately, we're going to win or lose, not based on what our balance sheet shows, but what the people really want and a word of mouth and getting people out there. You know what I really so, like about your what I really like about your ballot measure is how simple it is, and I think it's a mistake that a lot of people with uh with these ballot measures make what they do is they they, they want to put everything but the kitchen sink in their measure um really what you guys are doing is you're just you're making two very simple changes and you're leaving the rest up to the legislature and i think that's going to create a situation where the other side can't start trotting out this parade of of potential or i guess maybe they can anyway but it won't be as effective when they start trotting out this this parade of supposed un- unintended consequences because you can just say listen uh, it makes two very simple changes to the law. If there are other uh, side effects of that, the legislature is free to act, and the legislature can address those situations as they arise. What I like to say is this law is a template for legal marijuana in North Dakota. It is not a firm, you must do it my way. Yeah. Because when people start saying you have to do it my way, that's how you get disaster. Well, you're asking like, voters a simple, very simple question. Should marijuana, should recreational marijuana be legal? Yes, no. If they yeah. say yes, then the legislature, they have their message from voters, and then the legislature could step in and, and they can they could create additional policy beyond that, keeping in mind that the will of the people is the will of the people. The legislature could step in and, uh, you know, if there's side effects, if there's other problems, your measure doesn't get in the way of that. They're free to address that. Right. Let's, and uh, not like, just that, but it also allows for local control. So yeah. one of the mistakes that medical made was it tried to top-down say it shall be done this way across the whole state. That was and I realized that what the people of Fargo want is not necessarily what the people of Minot want. So I would yeah. encourage legislators to let the cities really handle the zoning and regulations of it. Cities, Maybe counties, Grand yeah. Court, they want to put it all on uh, Washington, yeah. and they don't want it anywhere near anything else. Maybe Fargo well, wants it on every street corner. Well, I tell you what, David, we're getting a, we're getting a couple calls in, but what I want to do, I think, is take a break so we're not run, we don't run out of time. Let's take a break. And we'll come back uh, and we will uh, we'll get Robert uh, who wants to get a call in after the break. David, can you hold on? Yes, I can do that. No problem. All right, we'll be right back. We're talking with David Owen from Legalize ND. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Uh, we got a couple emails. We got a caller, so we got to move quick here. Uh, caller, Robert, you're on with David Owen. He's uh, part of Legalize ND behind the recreational marijuana ballot. And I'll ahead, make this short, you know, because you got other people. But um, if you're going to you know, have it legalized, have it where it's just for medical purposes only, 
and not you know you know just use it because you want to use it, and but have it regulated for medical. Uh, I'm not sure what what what's your question, Robert. Can you repeat that? I'm not sure I understand. Well, if you know they, if they legalize it, use it for just medical and not for re- recreational. Okay, but it, it, in North Dakota, we've already will, legalized. Uh, people will abuse it. So, so if well, you use it for medical that way, it can get it. It can be regulated by the government so that it's not abused. All right. Well, let's let's ask. Thanks, thanks for the call, Robert. David. I mean, I guess his argument is, uh, you know, basically we have, uh, uh, you know, we already have legalized medical marijuana. Why do we need recreational marijuana? Well, one, we really don't have legalized medical marijuana as of today. Um, it's in statute, but it de facto doesn't exist. But fine, I, I understand the argument. Um, basically, it comes down to individual freedom and liberty. I'm of the belief that marijuana is safer than alcohol, and since alcohol is legal in this country, it only makes sense that substances less dangerous than alcohol should also be legal. It shows benefits for opioid use goes down when marijuana is legalized. Drug-related crime goes down. Income for the state will skyrocket because you're potentially talking about the largest cash cash crop in the history of this state. At around three hundred thousand dollars an acre, so well, I, 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 I have a feeling as more states legalize marijuana, that that value may go down. But I mean, you're not necessarily wrong. I, I'm in favor of legalizing it just because there's a ton of people already doing it, and our prohibition efforts have failed. Uh, and if you can't beat them, join them. That's kind of what I believe. Uh, I have an emailer saying, Rob, can you ask your guest what his opinion? On the FDA approving synthetic marijuana drugs today, but not recognizing natural pot, seems like a pharmaceutical giveaway to me. What's your thoughts, David? Well, I, I think it's emblematic of big government. Basically, what the FDA is doing is they're trying to get around the Schedule One, and I see it as a victory because they're basically admitting that it does have medicinal purposes and that it's not harmful. But their hands are tied because of the Schedule One system. They therefore have to either declassify it from Schedule 1 or they have to create a synthetic alternative. And unfortunately, because of how the law is written, they're choosing to do the other one, which is legalizing synthetics. Jim emails, hi, Rob. Yeah, Uh, Jim emails, hi, Rob. I support the legalization of recreational marijuana use, but I think the writers of the petition shot themselves in the foot by including language about wiping previous convictions off people's records. As we've already seen, the opposition has used this to create a misinformation campaign fighting against this. A bare-bones petition legalizing marijuana use would have been a much better chance of passing. Ten seconds, uh, David, your response. Part of legalization is making amends for past wrongs. Also, while the opposition may create a false narrative, think of every parent who may not support this but has a child in prison or sees a neighbor who can't get a job, or sees all of our second-class yeah. citizens, and sees right. the unfair shake they've gotten. All right, David, I'm, I'm supporting. Yeah, we're out of time. Sorry to cut you short. This is the Rob Report, Jay Thomas Show, coming up straight ahead. Don't go away.